Hey guys, welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter Fender and myself, Matt Slarchik. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics one conversation at a time. Those that are new guys, welcome to the podcast returning. Thank you guys for hanging out with us, listening, downloading. Please continue sharing the podcast with um, all your friends and family. We are seeing the downloads rising and this is motivating us to keep producing high quality content. Not to mention it's helping us, you know, rank an algorithm and we are seeing being seen more and more. How are you doing today, Pete? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice morning in Chicago, finally springtime. So, you know, it's not cold. It was, there was like winter for us on eight months. Eight months out of the year, you know, Chicago sucks. But what well, guys, today we'd like to welcome Kristen Doozy. So Kristen has been a nurse for over 12 years and she's finding herself, or she found a home in aesthetics and plastic surgery. Kristen is currently working on getting her doctorate in health psychology. The things that get Kristen fired up are her two boys, a good hip hop class, and helping women reach their fullest potential. And she actually has a free emotional awareness guide on her Instagram, or you get it through Instagram, and it's at healing underscore healthcare underscore workers. How's it going, Kristen? Good. I'm so glad to be here, guys. Glad to have you. Thanks. I, th- I think today you're going to try to sell us some Botox, correct? So hopefully- That's right. <laughs> next time me and Peter come to San Diego, I think we're going to get some injections somewhere. I think I might start with my forehead and we'll work our way down, correct? There you go. I'll just dip you guys in it. Yeah. yeah. Is What's- there like one you could give to like in between your eyes where it's like the, the yeah. crochet? Is that what it's called? So this is like your, what we call the 11s. The crow's mm-hmm. feet are kind of around the eyes. But oh. yeah, that's for, especially for guys, this area is my favorite to treat because you don't want, I mean, for guys, it's a little bit of a double standard, but they're a little more it's distinguished when a man has some lines um, as well, where for women, it's more aged. And so for guys though, this, it just makes you look angry and like, ugh. so I definitely treat this pretty hard. But for guys, I, I actually go pretty light on the Botox. Okay. Yeah. Matt's, Matt's looking angry. So we should, we should probably yeah. do that for him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What is something that a man starts actually with when it comes to Botox out of curiosity? Yeah. It's so funny. Most of the time my male patients will be brought in by their wives or girlfriends. And I always start off every consultation the same way. I hand everybody a mirror and I say, so tell me, you know, what, when you look in the mirror, what bothers you? And usually, you know, if I hand that to a woman, they're like, Oh my gosh, this and this, and I feel so tired and da 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 da. When I hand it to a guy, they're like, nothing. Like, <laughs> I'm good. Ask my wife. So usually it's the significant other that's bringing them in. And so I usually will always start with that in between Botox or in, in between the eyebrows for Botox. Um, and then we'll kind of move to the forehead and around the eyes, especially for guys that are like in the sun a lot and squinting. We'll notice that the around the eyes and then in between the, the eyebrows is usually the, the most prominent when it comes to lines. Um, so that's, that's typically where I start. Okay. Uh, that for women, is it typically just like the lips or do they do like, what's common for women to do? Yeah. So usually Botox is in the upper face. That's like the majority, the, the easiest, like slam dunk anti-aging is upper face. So forehead between the brows and around the eyes, sometimes like on the little like bunny lines right here for the nose. There's some more advanced techniques in the lower face when it comes to Botox, like, you know, jawline slimming, you can do like downturn of the mouth, a dimple chin, um, or a lip flip, which is where we put a little bit above the lip. And it kind of, for those that have like a gummy smile, so when they smile, that lip rolls up and you see more gum, um, we'll put a little bit of Botox there, it relaxes it, and you get a little bit of the increase in size in the lip. And then fillers is 
really what we are seeing popular right now. So cheeks, lips, around the mouth right here. I mean, it's amazing how much you can really do. Like a little bit can go a long way and without changing the way you look, completely enhance a, a natural beauty. It's, it's really amazing. What is the difference between, I want, we should have started the show by asking your background, but we're already into the Botox. So <laughs> what is the difference between Botox and like a filler? Like, yeah. So Botox is a neuromodulator. So the idea behind it is that it's going to relapse. So anything we see at movement is going to stop those lines. So that's why the upper face, you know, that's where all of our expression lies. And so, and there's really no downside to relaxing those muscles. We have to be more careful, obviously, with relaxing around the mouth because we want to be able to pronounce our letters, not be drooling. Um, so as far as Botox goes, we're relaxing. I don't like to use the word paralyzed when, it, when I'm dealing with patients, but that's essentially what you're doing. You're paralyzing the muscle. And then fillers, as, as the name speaks, it's filling. So areas where we see volume deficiency. So as we age, our cheeks are one of the first places that go down and they usually how we sleep makes a difference. And so it goes flat, which then causes a, a ripple effect down here. We see the nasolabial fold, we see the jowls. So by putting a, some filler in these areas, we can help kind of lift and then, you know, create a little more symmetry with a profile. Chins are really big. Chins and jaw lines are really big right now. So those are the main differences. They're used in different places in the face, essentially. One's stopping movement, one's filling deficiency. Okay. That's some good stuff. I have, I have no idea. Like, it's a, I've never, <laughs> I never done any kind of research regarding Botox or anything. I know a lot of nurses on my unit do Botox. Like you said, the number 11. A lot of, I know a lot of girls do that. I, wonder if I have the number 11, too, now that I'm looking at yeah. it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I get it done if I go to California. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this is, this is interesting, like, because – yeah, I never knew. I thought Botox was the same thing as, as like a filler. I thought it was all just like one one injection. Yeah, yeah, I'll have. And that's usually what most patients mm. come in thinking that it's like, oh yeah, just put some just put some Botox everywhere. So it's really fun to educate because it's a whole different language. It's a whole different world. And what I love as far as the nurse perspective is that I use my nursing experience more than I expected to in plastic surgery. I'm always evaluating. I'm always um, you know, going back to the basics, but there's an art side to it too. I have a, I'm naturally just very creative. And so for me, it's this wonderful outlet where I'm getting to assess facial, you know, the facial structure. I'm getting to amplify beauty, which is a really cool part of nursing to be able to mix the science and art part of it. Yeah, when, I was, when I was traveling nursing in Kaiser, uh, these nurses told me that it's better to start early and you'll see more benefit from the Botox if you start at an earlier age. Is there some truth to that? Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. Even if you call, I call it baby Botox where like I have patients in their twenties that will come in and I'm literally just doing like a little sprinkle of it because you know, with those, with the dynamic movements so of those lines that we see it when we're moving and having expression, if we start seeing those lines at rest, so meaning like for women, if your makeup is starting to settle in it by the end of the day or in pictures, you still see those 11s. If we put Botox there, it will give whatever you see at rest is what Botox is going to give you. And so if those lines are pretty ingrained, it's very difficult to really reverse them. And so if you start at a younger age, just doing little bits, you're so much better off. Like I'll never have those lines because I started when I was 24 and I'm 32 now. So, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, filler, I'm more conservative with younger patients because 
you know, I think the trend for a long time was to overfill. We saw that especially with lips and cheeks, whereas really the, the point behind it should be to protect the structure. So we're trying to, if there's going to be bone, muscle, tendon atrophy in the face, we can use fillers to kind of supplement that and kind of hold off. I say it's like tapping the brakes on the aging process because we do want, we, I mean, aging is a natural part of life. We want that. We just want to do it gracefully. So we don't want to be overfilled. I al always allow for there to still be expression around the eyes when it comes to Botox. I don't like it to be too frozen. Um, but a lot of it depends on what the patients are wanting too. Every patient has a different goal for what they're trying to achieve. So it's definitely important to assess that as well. Yeah, I feel like it's like a type of a preventative um, a medicine. Because me, me and Matt are big into like whole like mindfulness, like mindset, like all mental health, like those kind of aspects. And I feel like not only um, do people age physically, but they obviously age, age mentally. And I feel like with like yes. Botox or fillers with, with like plastics and those kind of things, I feel like that doesn't only add years to like their skin. It also adds years to like their, their, like their mental game because if they look in their totally. mirror every day and they hate what they're looking at and you have the opportunity to, 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 to change that and to improve it. And that's, that's going to add, add legit years to their life because they're going to be happier for a longer period of time. They're not going to get depressed. They're not going to compare themselves to, to I'm a, you know, 45 year old woman or 35 year old woman. And I look like I'm like I'm 50, you know that, that, totally. that'll get them down. Like if you wake up every morning and you feel like you, you look 50, but you're really 35, 40 years old, like that's going to put you down right away. So if people have the chance to, you know, heighten their mood by doing these, these fillers, these Botox, you know, that's totally something, you know, that, that they should do. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's funny that you said that there was actually a study done where they um, did the 11 line. So basically you're not able to make a frown face. You're not able, I have so much Botox, I can't even make the face, but you're like, you can't, the, the patients couldn't frown. And what they showed was an exponential increase in their overall happiness and how the patient rated it. And they think, I mean, not only just because Botox is great and they feel better, but also too, they weren't able to make a scowly facial motion that they would do so much of the time without even recognizing it. And so that was super interesting to me. But then also too, what's so crazy is the majority of my experience was labor and delivery before I got into, into aesthetics. So when I was doing labor and delivery, I loved it. I was seeing a miracle of life every shift. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. So when I got into plastics, I was like, okay, well, you know, this will be really fun. But basically any meaning behind my work is basically gone at this point. But it'll be really fun. And um, that could not be further than, from the truth. When I sit with a patient and so many women, at least in my area, are coming to me because there was a catalyst of some sort. They are going through a divorce. They, you know, their spouse cheated on them. Their kids are, you know, they're finally an empty nester and can finally take that time for themselves. And so to, to get to help women like work through years of body shame issues and actually have tangible ways to help them is amazing. It's sacred space for sure. And I know you're getting your doctorate into psychology. So wrapping those two together, what is like a huge mental barrier you see women or men? Let's just, let's stick with women because that's the majority into getting Botox. Where do you see those mental psychological barriers where they feel maybe embarrassed or shamed of getting Botox and they're resistant to getting like their first treatment? Yeah, I would say the biggest barrier is women, at least in my area, I do think it's like area specific, but I would say in my area, it's women feeling like they should spend that they shouldn't spend the money on themselves because I mean the average Botox treatment is between four and six hundred dollars and it, it, you do need to do it every three to four months so it's it's you know it's something that you need to keep up it's re represents a decent amount of money 
but I would say that's the biggest barrier. And so my, so much of my time with patients is kind of working through like, why is, you know, why do you feel that guilt? Is it because you stay at home? Is it because you're trying to put kids through college and just trying to help them realize like, you know, it's important to feel your best. It's important to invest in yourself when you finally make that stand that, okay, I'm, I'm ready to take care of myself. Like you guys were saying it, it truly does add years to your life because it's, it's so much more symbolic than just Botox. It's that you're willing to put yourself as a priority. Um, I would say that the second barrier is social media or just like what we've seen fillers and Botox look like in the media for years, um, where lips are overfilled, cheeks are overdone. You know, there's no movement in the face. A lot of my patients come in really concerned. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to still look like myself. And so I always try to explain to patients, the goal is not to make you look different. It's to make you look refreshed. And so if we can like take a couple of years off, if we can slow the aging process, we want you to walk into a room and for people to be like, gosh, something looks different about you. Did you get a haircut? Did you have a great vacation? I don't want you to lead with your lips. I don't want the first thing people to say is, oh, who did your Botox? But I want, you know, there to be this aura about you that says like, I'm refreshed. I I'm taking care of myself. So those are the two biggest things that I see. And just educating patients and having that conversation with them usually brings down those defenses pretty quickly. Yeah, so there's like a, like still like a, like a stigma about Botox in like certain area, areas of the country where, it, where it's like, it's like fake, like you're just, like you're being selfish, but you know, that's not true. Like people don't judge, like if you get like a fake tooth, you know, or like you get like, like a, like tooth alignment, like they don't judge you for, for doing that. But both times get to, it gets this like stigma of like selfishness and trying to be like, you know, an LA model or like a, like a girl from Miami or whatever. But that's, that's not true. Like you say, it's, it's all part of like wellness and just, it's all health promotion. And it's like, it's, it's more than that. It's more than just, just the physical aspect of it. Totally. Totally. We get our hair dyed and nobody thinks twice exactly. about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like how you mentioned that you need time for yourself with those kind of things and like self-care, self-love. And, you know, me and Peter are both, um, we have immigrant parents and we are taught the exact opposite. Like as an immigrant parent, you are, you are taught to be safe, safe, safe. Don't spend on yourself because times are tough. You know, um, we, our parents work, you know, their grandparents came from World War II. So it's all about don't spend any time for yourself. You need to survive. You need to eat food and everything was about saving. So I think it's nice to just have that flip-flop and devote money for yourself and self-love because it goes such a long way. Totally. It's breaking out of that scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset. I mean, it's amazing how much something that you would think super, like superficial as Botox, but I get into some deep stuff with my patients because we're breaking those beliefs. We're breaking limiting beliefs. We're breaking through like, no, you are worthy. We're getting through some core wounds. And it's like, it's amazing how something as like silly as Botox really can help us tap into that kind of stuff. Plus, plus you mentioned that you're not able to frown because of Botox. And as you know, I think if you smile, it stimulates more muscles than frowning, which actually increases happiness for in some kind of way that I'm not aware of. And that's pretty yeah. cool that it does that. So totally, totally. And Jumping it. Let me go. I got this. <laughs> Kristen, um, so you said you have 12 years of, of nursing experience. Um, what did you like? Was there like a point in time where you decided to transition to like the, like the plastic aspect of it? Like, was there, like, how, how did you get introduced to it? 
because I'm, I'm guessing since you worked labor and delivery, you worked in a hospital. So how do you get yeah. like the injectables and stuff like that? So I kind of hit a point with my nursing career of like being in the hospital work, you know, I always commuted. I was working 12 hour shifts. I, at the beginning of my career, I was just, just going per diem. And so I would just do like one or two shifts, but then became a single mom, had to go full time. And I was like, oh gosh, like this is, I was feeling so burned out. This was as much as I loved being in the labor and delivery space, the hospital aspect was very draining for me. So I just kind of was like, okay, I know, I knew that there was jobs like this out there. I knew there was clinic jobs. I knew that there was aesthetic jobs. And I've always been very interested in beauty. I always, I love making my space beautiful. I'm very into fashion. And so I was like, gosh, that seems like a really, it seems like it'd be such a good fit for my personality, but it's a really, really hard part of nursing to get into. So for years, it was just kind of something that was like, yeah, one day that would be, that would be really great. You know, I'd see different people, different injectors and stuff on social media. Um, and then I saw a Craigslist ad actually. And which is so funny because I was even at the time, like, I wonder if this is a scam, like Craigslist just didn't seem like the most reputable way to find a job. And, um, I applied and it was almost a six month long interview process. Um, but they, I would go in like every week, every couple weeks and they would train me. They, the doctors that I work for are phenomenal. And so it was really just luck that I kind of got into this. I've been in it now for almost three years and, um, it, yeah, the, I, I have uh, nurses ask me all the time, like, how do I get into aesthetics? And I don't have a super great answer because for me, it was really just like the universe bringing it to me because there's all these different seminars that you can take and trainings that you can do. But really, unless you have actual experience, it's very difficult to get a job in the field. Um, so I was just super fortunate that I had doctors that not only trained me, like these uh, renowned plastic surgeons trained me, but literally handed me their entire injectable practice. So to say I was scared, my first shift is like the understatement of the year, but um, it, the growth that's taken place in the last three years is just amazing. That's, that's amazing. And how did you transition from that to you're currently in school, right? To getting your doctorate in um, psychology? Yeah. So after I got divorced about five years ago, I had, I had just had my ADN at the time. And so I was like, you know, shoot, like if I am kind of going back to that, like nurse burnout thing, I was like, gosh, I don't want to work in the hospital full time. Maybe my role, maybe my answer to this is like, to further my education in nursing so I could do more like either admin or teach or something like that. So I went and I got my master's in nursing. I did like an RN to MSN program. And then I was like, oh crap, <laughs> like I don't think I'm actually very good at admin. Like that's not really what I want to do. And so the more I like coinciding alongside of my professional journey, I was going on this, my own like healing journey of just recovering from a divorce and a really messy just home situation. And, um, just was finding so much healing in going to therapy, mindfulness, meditation, all these things. And I'm like, gosh, I think this is actually where I see myself having a role is more helping people psychologically. But I was like, gosh, but I love being a nurse too. So the perfect way to meld these two is, was for me to be able to bring mental health and emotional growth services to healthcare providers that were feeling very much the same way as me. Um, and, you know, obviously getting out of the hospital was huge for my mental health. Being in the clinic setting has been 
amazing for me. Um, and then to be able to bring the psychological aspect into not only what I do now, but to help other healthcare workers has been extremely fulfilling. As a nurse working in aesthetics, like what is your, like before this whole, obviously before this whole coronavirus thing, what, what was your like, what did you do with like there? It's like day to day. Did you, I know you do a lot of education, but do you do actually any of like the injecting or like what does a nurse anesthetics actually do? Yeah. So basically, so I have a full schedule. So I see patients about every 15 minutes, the whole day I, I have a patient scheduled every 15 minutes. Um, so I have, I have a, a mix of new patients and then also return patients that see me every three to four months, every six months. Um, they come in, uh, they, I, ha I see them in the exam room. We, I actually will inject them. Um, and then I also do help. We have an OR in our facility too. So I kind of will jump back and forth there too, where it's needed. But as far as the injection side, yeah, I have, you know, I see 20 ish patients a day, um, and inject all of them, which is super fun. You said super fun and tying into things into mental health. I feel like we as nurses, we don't have enough education as in school with when it comes to mental health. Right. And then as you know, with your healing journey, you realize that mental health is probably one of the most important things that we could learn in a way. And it betters, betters our life. Do you feel like nurses are kind of suffering with burnout, everything that's happening because we're undereducated and we don't give the proper education to our patients with mental health? Oh my gosh. Yes, totally. I think, you know, we basically, my, my feeling is that you know, every person has their own stuff, right? We all have, we can't, there's no way you can make it out of childhood and adolescence unscathed without deeper wounds, trauma, you know, things with caregivers, attachment. You have all these things that we all end up with, right? And every decision that you make, every reaction that you have is based off of the foundation of your mental health, which is formed from those early experiences. And so then for nurses, you're then in a vocation that highlights all of these really like deep things, right? You're invited into parts of the human experience that very few people see. You're seeing life, you're seeing death, you're dealing with ethical dilemmas, you're being faced with limiting beliefs all the time. Am I in the right job? The very real possibility that if you make a mistake, it could cause somebody, cost somebody their life. So you have all these aspects. And in nursing school, all you're taught is, you know, the pathophysiology and you're taught skills and all that, but you're never taught how to manage your own mental health, how to have boundaries with your patients, how to like be compassionate, but not, you know, but being maintain boundaries. And so my, what I would love to see happen is, and that's why I'm going back to school is because I want to see in, in nursing schools on like on the floor education be about nurses taking care of their own mental health because how can we expect to heal others if we don't even know how to heal ourselves you know and what we're seeing now between the mind body connection and research it's like gosh we are we're missing it with our patients and we have the ability to bring such deeper healing but it starts with us it starts with our own journey our own realizations getting past our own triggers um, but you're absolutely right. There's very little emphasis placed on mental health and what is there is all just clinical. It's not really digging into anything beyond like, okay, here's anxiety. This is what you do. 
this is this mental health disorder. This is what you do as opposed to like, no, here's how as a nurse, you really should handle yourself on the floor. Here's how you handle your patients. Here's what you do at home. So it's a really, it's a huge disservice to our, as healthcare in general. I think sometimes the way I like see it is we are still stuck in like the, because I, I feel like as technology is moving, we're still trying to keep up with it. And that's what's happening in the hospital where we're treating patients at like a um, physiological level. We're just, the body is the body and we are the mechanics and we're fixing it like that. But there's also the quantum field and that's something we're completely missing. And as you know, the quantum field has all the healing and everything about frequencies, energies, right? We're missing that whole entire point that's completely thrown out the window and no one talks about it. So hopefully in the future, just like you say, maybe we'll have more awareness of mental health, not only for nurses, but also for treating patients, you know? Totally, totally. I think, and that's why, you know, podcasts like this are so important because it starts with us individually. Like we, we can't expect for there to be a systemic change in healthcare until we as nurses are willing to dive into that journey for ourselves. And so the platform that you guys have to be able to do that is amazing. And, you know, there's so many more social media. This is where I think it's beneficial is that I'm seeing so many more things pop up trying to really help nurses. I think the COVID experience, it's bringing to light and, and making conversation happen about nurse mental health that really hasn't happened before. We're really being faced with different scenarios that we've never had to deal with before. And we're having to talk about it for the first time. And, and nurses are actually really scared about having post-traumatic stress disorder and having burnout and facing anxiety or feeling imposter syndrome. And now like I'm on some different Facebook forums and stuff, and I'm just, I'm seeing conversation after conversation, which to me, it's like, that's how it starts. And we have to dig in. We have to lean in, lean into that, even though it's uncomfortable and really work through how do we make ourselves the best that we can so we can heal others. Yeah, I also think like mental health also stems from um, like emotional awareness. I know you have a, a free emotional awareness like guide for, for people out there on your Instagram page. But like emotions are tough because a lot of times, you know, we make judgments and we take action off our emotions and, and those actions or judgments might not always be, be, be the best ones. And we can't always control our emotions and, and that's okay. But you just have to be, be aware what emotion that you're feeling and then maybe you hold off your decision onto like a, like a later time, because like I said, a lot of times choices made off motion aren't, aren't always the best. And, and since you have the emotional awareness study, like the emotional awareness um, guide, uh, how does that actually work? How, how, do, how did you create it and, and who is it for? Yeah, so it's really for everybody. I tailor, I mean, emotional awareness is, you know, across the board for everybody. However, I did kind of tailor this more for nurses specifically. And basically the idea behind emotional awareness is that you're aware of what you're feeling and how your actions respond to those feelings without judgment. So what that would look like is, you know, we'll use the example of like, okay, every time I come home from work, I feel exhausted. I feel run down. I just want to numb out my numb out, you know, my coping mechanism of choice. I think for most people's food, Netflix, drinking, whatever you're noticing, okay, a pattern here. So what I know to tell uh, nurses, excuse me, to do is just notice without judgment. That's a huge part of all of this is just noticing what's my pattern, how am I feeling, what's coming up for me, and then being able to connect the dots basically. So if every time I'm at work and I go on a break and then I leave feeling angry and frustrated, 
I can kind of track it back to the fact like, oh, well, every time I have lunch, I'm bad mouthing administration. I'm gossiping with friends. I'm, I'm not doing anything that actually protects my boundaries or mental health. And then from there, you know, I'm very big on body awareness. So then recognize where it is in your body and just, just let it be no judgment, no shame. And then from there, we can kind of try to decide, okay, what's the, what's the deeper root here? Because for so many people, our emotions are just a response, a tr basically a trigger getting activated from a previous event happening. So we'll use that example of like gossiping at, at lunch and feeling anxious. Well, really, maybe it's not that actual event that's causing the emotion. It's actually something from your childhood. And it was actually, you know, five-year-old Peter getting left on the playground and nobody was going to play with him. And that's now coming up in your job. And so, yeah, you can try to maneuver and navigate all your triggers all day long within nursing, but really it comes down to identifying the root of it, changing the narrative and working through that emotion. But I think you're right. I think so often we feel an emotion and we like take that as truth and okay, now I must respond to it. When really, if we look at emotions, as just information um, where there doesn't need to be guilt or shame attached to it. And there doesn't even need to be action attached to it necessarily. It's just information to know, okay, this didn't feel right why? What do I need to dig into? What do I need to lean into? And then from there decide, okay, what actions do I need to take, if any? Or a little five-year-old Peter on the playground. Man, those, are, those, times were, those times were rough. <laughs> right? I know. And it's like, you think you get over them and they just, they'll just keep showing up until you heal it. So every, every time I drive by a playground or a park, you know, those memories come, come researching right <laughs> yeah. I also find it interesting how I had a question that just slipped my mind, but we talk about childhood, correct? Everything stems from childhood trauma, things like that. And I feel like sometimes we come, we become a victim of it and we shouldn't do that. Correct. Because we, we can't change what happened as a child, but as you know, right with mental health, we have the power to change anything from that stems from childhood. Correct. So how would you empower people what would you tell them if they had a traumatic childhood? Like, how would you tell them it's okay, you can still change? Because a lot of people create an identity with things, correct? Mm -hmm. So they create an identity with their childhood. They create an identity with their depression. And they just keep living that same program. And they keep telling themselves the same story, right? Totally, totally. I think you hit the nail on the head with, like, it becoming their identity. And, you know trauma and trauma can look different for different people. It doesn't always have to be what we call like big T trauma, where it's like abuse and neglect. It can be things like, you know, just even being emotionally neglected or, um, you know, the playground example, like those that constitutes as trauma for some people, because trauma is really the, the response that you have to a, a situation, not the actual situation itself. And so my, my advice to people is you're only going to change when you're, when you are ready or when you feel like you can give yourself permission to change, because when you do wrap your identity around it, that's safe, right? That's all you know. There's something that you're getting out of that identity, whatever it may be. And change is only going to come when we are actually ready to dig into it. When we're ready to say where we want something more for ourselves but a lot of that does need to be done in the context of, you know, therapy, coaching, somebody that can kind of walk alongside of you. I'm very big into like self-healing and, you know, I think that there's a, definitely a place for that too. But I think 
I think we can, it's very easy to remain the victim. It's very easy to stick in this spot because it's just, that's, it's comfortable. A lot of us get addicted to chaos because that's what we knew in our childhood and we'll create cycles of chaos over and over again in our lives through relationships or finances, whatever. And it's only when we kind of recognize like, oh, I'm in this cycle because of that trauma, because of those events that we can truly break out of it. And so that's where the awareness piece is so important because it's, you know, our caregivers as, I mean, just speaking broadly, but they were, they had their own set of hurts, their own set of issues. And so to continually blame our caregivers, I mean, and not to say that there wasn't, you know, major issues for some people, but in general, to break away from the blame and just know that, okay, from this, I couldn't control what happened to me in the past, but I can control my response. And moving forward very gently with yourself, this is a lifelong process. It's not going to be something that you shift overnight. It's something that you work through continually and different things are going to pop up. And when you think it's like whack-a-mole, when you think you've got one thing dealt with, something else is going to pop back up and you just my advice is be gentle, be, be kind to yourself. I I say that healing is not linear. It's like a, it's like a spiral staircase. So you'll kind of, you know, you'll kind of keep coming back to the same different issues. So like maybe fear of abandonment, um, in the context of nursing the, that imposter syndrome, not feeling like you're good enough. You'll no matter how much experience you have, you may kind of keep coming back to that. And I think the natural inclination is to be like, Oh my gosh, like I should be past this. Like, I've been a nurse for 12 years. I shouldn't feel this way. But really what we should be looking at as a measure of growth is not how do we come back to those same issues, but that, you know, as a spiral staircase does, it elevates. So each time I come back to that, am I a little more elevated? Am I a little bit more aware? Am I recovering a little bit faster? Am I reacting less? So it's not so much a matter of healing doesn't have to be like, oh, I went through all these traumas and now it's gone. It's healed. I don't ever have to deal with these things again. It's what's my response? How am I being kind to myself? How am I creating situations in my life that are healing as opposed to detrimental? And so it's, it's nuanced, it's layered, it's difficult, but it's so worth it. I, I really love how you put, put that together. That was beautifully articulated. Why does it happen on a psychological level where we, we tend to bounce back to whatever we experienced as a childhood? Do you know that deep down like psychological piece to it? Yeah. So, I mean, there's different lines of thinking. What I like to hold on to is this thought that, you know, I mean, our, our relationship with our caregiver is really important and we see a lot in what we call attachment theory. So, you know, this idea that we have secure attachments, that we have anxious attachments or avoidant attachments there or some variation of the three. And basically everything that we, all of those attachments are formed in the first couple of years of life, which we as people have no control over. Right. And so there's going to be this tendency to want to go back and heal things that subconsciously were left open for us. So if you have, let's say an avoidant, you know, a, an emotionally neglectful father and, you know, there's just no emotion there. There's no affection, um, emotionally stunted relationship. Real, I mean, no matter how much you heal it, everything that you do, every choice that you make, every relationship you choose is going to be a heal, try your subconscious trying to heal that relationship with your dad. And so that's my line of thinking in why we keep going back to those things because those attachments, what you, whoever your caregiver was, that figure in your life, 
it's so instrumental that your subconscious is continually trying to heal that relationship. And again, that's where the awareness comes in because the more you're aware of like, Oh, and the deep more you dig into like your family of origin and those, you know, inner child stuff, you're able to see, Oh, these are the patterns that I was raised with. Here are the wounds that I had. I didn't even realize. And then from there you see how every decision in your life was a reflection of that. And so as we, grow and evolve and surround ourselves with people that heal those wounds, I do think it's possible for us to shift out of them. And maybe there'll be different triggers that kind of come up, you know, in whatever different relationships or situations at work or whatever. But the key is taking the shame out of it and recognizing that we as humans are always going to have more work to do. And that is, that is the human experience and that we're here for it. And as long like showing up is the most important thing. And it's also crazy because we tend to be so negative about those things. And I like, I, I like how you mentioned to observe, right? Because we are not our feelings. We're not our thoughts. We're not our emotions, but we tend to connect those together. And as you say, we keep replaying those events. So we have that traumatic experience or is it a thought again? And we tend to think the same way instead of breaking out of that pattern. So would you say that being aware and stepping outside of it and just observing is like a key part into like mental health and starting to break those barriers? So my question to you is basically, because I'm trying to figure it out myself, what is the number one way to start breaking down those past experiences and changing and creating new, like, um, new memories, new pathways, new neurochemistry to change who you really are. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think we've attached value to emotion, you know, happy is good, sad is bad, you know, guilt is bad, joy is good. We've, we've attached value to all these things. So there's an inherent shame that comes along with, gosh, I feel really angry right now. And there's this, like, I shouldn't feel angry. Like I, why do I feel angry? Now I'm angry that I feel angry. And so there's this spiral that we get into. Whereas if we are, like you said, just these conscious observers kind of looking down and like, Hmm, I feel really angry right now. What's that trying to, what's the situation trying to tell me? It's a totally different perspective. And so Yes. Rewiring the brain. Oh my gosh, this is my favorite subject because it's possible. Like we can, you know, um, but the observing part of it is key because if we don't know what we're working with, if we don't dig in to some of it, so not only observing, but digging in. So we have to kind of go back. We've got to, we've got to look at our childhood. We've got to look at key experiences in our life that shaped who we are. We've got to look at limiting beliefs. But to me, the biggest piece of it is taking the judgment out because I think, especially as nurses, we have a real, we heal, we get into nursing so that we can help everybody else deal with their, heal them, deal with their stuff. So we don't have to look at our own the majority of the time. And so nurses notoriously are, have a difficult time with this because they want to just heal and help everybody else. Usually everybody in this field is very selfless. We want to do what we can to, you know, help our patients and we have a hard time accepting help or being willing to dig into ourselves. Um, so the awareness component and the taking the shame out of it, those are the, the biggest things that I really encourage my clients to do. That's where we start. Yeah. With like, with the whole motion is like, it's crazy because like we, 
most of the time we don't really have the complete control over our emotion. Like they, like you said, they just happen to just, just, just be there at that certain point in time. Like, you know, just, be, just because, you know, you woke up angry doesn't mean you're an angry person in general. You know, you can't like give yourself like the negative association with like, with like a negative emotion. Like there's gonna be times where, where you should feel happy, but you just don't. And like, that's yeah. okay. That doesn't, doesn't necessarily make, make you like a depressed person or, or something that's like a bad individual. It's just, at that certain time, you're, you're feeling that way. And like you said, you have to kind of dig down and, and find out why you're feeling that way. Are, yeah. some, are you bringing these feelings of anger and sadness due to something that happened yesterday or, or, or what? Are you, are you not talking about it? Because you have to figure it out. So that's why I think like mental health, like especially like psychology, having like a therapist to sit down with make things, makes things a lot easier because sometimes you do have your friends, but you don't want to tell them the whole thing because you feel like, like they might judge you or, or they might have a different opinion. But if you go to somebody that's like a therapist or psychologist that is kind of like, like a blank slate that might provide like an unbiased or, or different, different opinion, because a lot of people that you surround yourself, you guys usually have like the similar minds, similar interests, similar ideas. So you guys are going to tend to think the same, but going to like a therapist or psychologist, it uh, provides like a whole different, different um, like idea or, or, it's a completely different mindset because they don't know you as well as everybody else knows you. You know, you might, you might be as much judgment there. Oh, absolutely. And like with my coaching clients, my goal is to get them to come back to themselves. You know, there's not, there isn't necessarily, it's not like I'm some guru. It's not like a therapist. Yes. You know, therapists are, are trained with techniques, but in and of itself, it's not that the role isn't from, Oh, I have the answers and I'm going to tell you what they are. It's, you know intrinsically what you need, but you have all this other stuff, these traumas, these adverse events, these relationships that are just kind of clouding it. And the role of the therapist and the coach is to kind of just guide you as you start to realize what's inside yourself. And I think you're absolutely right. Because dealing with friends and stuff, sometimes we create echo chambers with our friendships and we, you know, we're going to hear what we want to hear, that kind of a thing. And there, our friends are dealing with their own trauma. So maybe there's something even in our experience that's actually triggering for them. Like I know when I was going through my divorce, it was very difficult for me to actually talk about with friends because so many of them had their own experience with divorce, whether it was a parent, a sibling, their own experience with a, a, a poor marriage or and they're trying to process their pain, their experience through what I was going through. Whereas a coach or a therapist is much more neutral and we're trained on how to not transfer or project that, you know, what we go through our own experience into the client. And like I said, it's all about coming back to yourself and trying to really sift through like, okay, I know I'm already whole. Like there isn't this feeling of like I'm broken and I need to fix myself. There's wholeness inside of me. I just need to break down the layers to get back to that place. Right. Right. And you, you have a website, right? It's, um, it's called, um, healing healthcareworkers.com, right? Yeah. And what services do you provide like through there? Do you provide like your coaching and everything through there? Yeah. Yeah. So the majority of what I do right now is coaching. Um, I was doing some group stuff during the COVID when COVID was really definitely at its height. Um, but the, my main offering is coaching. So one-on-one -on -one, 12 weeks, we get, we dig into all of this. We identify limiting beliefs. We dig into some inner child stuff with the overall goal that with 
in 12 weeks that your situation at work and at home is going to be greatly improved. So you're not going to feel as much burnout. You're not going to feel a lot of nurses are feeling stressed, depression, anxiety, PTSD, insomnia, how to relate with my spouse. That's not a healthcare worker. We dive into all of that because to me, nursing is this like pressure cooker. That's going to bring everything to the top. It's going to, and if you don't deal with it, you're going to explode. So that's the majority of what we do. We get on zoom calls. There's, I have a packet. We, 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 we go deep. So my clients are like ready to do the work. Those are the ones that I'm ready to work with because it's, it takes work and it takes, um, a real digging in, but it's the process is so amazing. It's so fulfilling and so worth it. When you experience that healing in your own life, it transfers to everything and it's therefore then that's how change happens right in our healthcare field in the hospital it's when we change ourselves first and that's where we're going to see the change so that's why I feel so called to do it because I know it's it's individual yes but it's also so much bigger than just one person it's the future of healthcare you know and those energies eventually start bouncing off and that's how we create real change in the in the environment. So me being Matt, and let's just say I'm having nurse burnout and I'm coming to you for coaching and for help, Kristen, how would you, what's the general synopsis of how would you help and treat me to kind of prevent my burnout from happening again? Yeah. So there's four, like when it, we're talking about burnout and specifically, there's kind of four different things that I like to touch on to kind of help get back to a place where we're feeling more whole, more healthy. The first thing is building resilience. So the way that we do that is we develop coping mechanisms, right? We all have coping mechanisms. They're just, some are positive, some are negative, some are more healthy. So I don't like using a positive negative word phrasing, but some are more helpful less and less helpful, right? So we start to identify those. Is it that we like to numb out? Do we spend too much money? Are our relationships a mess? We start to identify, okay, what's the way that we're coping in our life? And so we start with that. From there, then we're able to kind of build some emotional intelligence. We're able to build some awareness. And then we shift to positive coping mechanisms. So instead of, you know, binging when I get home, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to take a, do a meditation practice. So that's one aspect of it. And then it's, and then self-care and self-care, I feel like has gotten this like really like fluffy phrasing over the last couple of years. And it's like, oh my gosh, let me put my face mask on. And if that's self-care for you and I not to knock that at all, cause I love a good face mask. Uh, but to me, self-care is also self-work. So if that means that we are going to therapy, does that mean that we are learning how to set boundaries? We're doing coaching. We're doing different things like that. That's going to teach us how to make ourselves a priority because nurses have a very difficult time with that. And then I would have, and then we go through a process where we start recognizing triggers and that is where the deep work happens. So that's where we start digging into, okay, you know, we identify your, your particular symptoms of burnout. Everybody is different. A lot of times you don't even recognize that you're in burnout. So we start, we identify those first and then we try, we trace it back. Okay. So what are the feelings that are you know, causing you to feel burned out? What's, what are the situations? Okay. So this situation at work where, you know, you, you feel like you aren't good enough, you made a mistake and it's, you know, you got in trouble and it's leading to this feeling of burnout. Okay. So now we take those events and we trace that back. Why was that so triggering? Why was that so emotionally taxing? And that is going to, that starts a whole journey of 
okay, in my childhood, this happened in with my caregivers, this happened. So we get, this is the area where we get really deep. It takes a few weeks. It's very, we go very slow through it very gently. And then I'm sorry, go ahead. There's a psychologist called Carl Jung, and he has a theory, correct, of shadow work. Is this what it yes. technically is? Shadow work exactly. going into your deep subconscious? Exactly, exactly. Really digging into like, okay, what are the things that I have subconsciously set in my life to basically self, self-sabotage and working through those? And then from there, now, okay, we've gotten into the deep, the dark. We've really done the hard work. Now we rewrite the narrative. So now we take those triggers of not being good enough. Those are those core wounds of not feeling good enough, of always feeling like I was second choice or whatever, feeling like I was always told I was stupid in, in school. And now we rewrite the narrative. Now we start working on positive steps to you when you're at work and that feeling of you made a mistake and that old voice is coming in. You're stupid. See, this is what I always knew. You're, you're never going to amount to anything. You shouldn't be here. No. Okay. How can we rewire that? How can we rewrite the narrative? And so then we start taking steps in positive directions and that's how change happens. And that's how we start to rewire. There's a lot of other things kind of mixed in there too, depending on specifically what, you know, somebody's dealing with, but that's sort of the overall gist. So it's not just like, Oh my gosh, this is great. Like, let's, what do you want to work on today? Well, there's a very specific kind of process that we go through, um, to help get every, to get my clients to the other side. So at the end of it, it's like, oh, I can take a deep breath. Like, oh, this is what it looks like to actually have emotional awareness and feel freedom and to have healthy relationships and to look forward to going to work. Sometimes it means different, you know, I've had clients where we change careers or we switch from full-time to part-time. Like there's shifts that can happen within the career itself too. But by the end of it, the goal is that we are learning how to set boundaries for ourselves, that we are having fruitful and fulfilling relationships, that we wake up each day and we know how to cope with what is coming next. I love how you put that together. And that's, that's something we need more of. And I think that's the value that we like to provide on the podcast is actually how to dig into that. You know, maybe in the future, this episode will be do We'll get a lot of downloads. Maybe you could come back and even imagine doing like a case study on the podcast. We're actually digging down into the psychology and how, oh, how do you yes. actually take the steps? That'd be pretty cool. I just thought, thought about this on the, on the spot. Peter, do you have anything to add before you maybe wrap up? Yeah. How do you like manage all this? Cause I mean, knowledge might be a little different with the COVID, but pre-COVID, because, you know, you're in school, you have a family to run, you know, and then you also have your, your aesthetic work they, they also do with, with, your, with your patients. How do you, you know, do all that? Well, I have to take my own advice <laughs> a lot of times because I can get burned out. Um, I wake up really early. I think the thing is, is that I've positioned myself in a place now in life where like, yes, I have a lot of like really big things that I'm doing, but I love each one so much and they all kind of intersect in their own way that it kind of one fuels the other. So there's this like really great momentum as far as actual time management goes. I get up very early, like four o'clock every morning and just manage. My kids are a little bit older now too. So I don't have that like, you know, mommy, mommy, mommy. Like I, they're a little more independent in school and all that. But um, yeah, I think the biggest thing why I feel I can balance all of this and still feel fueled is because I love what I do. I mean, but are there sacrifices? I'm not able to always do as much social things as I'd like. My dating life is non-existent. You know, that those kinds of things are just temporary sacrifices that I know, okay, 
right now, this is a season, this is the season I've chosen for myself. And then there'll maybe be a different season in the future. But um, yeah. I, I feel like sometimes we are bad at taking our own advice for real. Totally. So, I, I get it myself too. Like I know what the heck I have to do yet. I don't do the damn thing. And sometimes we have to, just like you say, give ourselves that time for, to observe that and then change. So just to wrap it up, what is like your self care? Let's use the word, the wishy-washy word self care. Like what is your routine and what is the way that, you know, Kristen stays sane throughout all this, you know, like hustler ambition that you have and, you know, doing the coaching and going to school to get your doctorate and everything. So my like morning routine is my, like my sanctuary. So I get up, I do like a 10 minute meditation. Um, I do something from the holistic psychologist called future self journaling, where basically you kind of think about where you want to be in your life in different aspects. So emotionally, financially health, you know, all of these different aspects. And you basically write out what you, what that looks like, what that fulfillment of your future self looks like. So I start with that. I do something called the class. It's like this really amazing, like embodiment workout. Um, so those are like the things that I do each day that are like, those are non-negotiables for me. I set up my ritual, my routine, as far as like interspersed, when I like can feel myself burning out, I have a couple of really core friends that are just, they're very much in the same energy space as me. And they're very much in line with the same kind of work. So we get together, we just have refreshing conversation. But the thing that I love the most that I have not done in a long time is hip hop classes. I love to dance. Um, I'm terrible at it. Don't, don't get any wrong impression, but those are, those are the things where I'm like, I've identified, like, I know how I feel afterwards, after I have those conversations with my friends, after I listen to a really good podcast. And I just, I have a list of like my feel good things that are positive coping mechanisms. So when I feel myself sliding into like online shopping or total and utter numbing out burnout phase, I look at my list and I'm like, okay, based off my energy level, what, which one am I going to choose? And that's been really helpful for me because I, I mean, like anybody, I get very, I can have the propensity to get very burned out. So that helps me to keep a list of things that I know light me up. Okay. And for our listeners, Kristen, where can they find you at? Do you have uh, another Instagram page or do you just predominantly use the healing underscore healthcare underscore workers? Yeah. Yeah. That's my personal page is K underscore dozy, but yeah, as far as healing healthcare workers, Instagram is the best place to find me. Um, go on my website for that emotional awareness guide to kind of get, you know, basically it's a reflection of everything we've talked about today, but in writing. Um, yeah. And that's where, that's where you'll find me. Kristen, we appreciated you coming onto the show. I enjoy the conversation. I know that Peter, I feel bad for Peter and his, you know, five-year-old self in the playground. I know. Right. I don't want to just stop, to stop bringing it up, guys. <laughs> you know, the first thing of healing is just is to forget. You know, I can't forget. You guys can bring it up. Peter needs to go go hug his inner child yeah. for a little while. Yeah, I'm have I'm, to. I'm just letting you know, Peter, I'm going to bust your balls for a couple of weeks on this, man. That's fine. That's fine. I'm, so I'm just going to ignore your phone calls. You better, you better cope with us somehow, man. Positively, negatively, I don't care, man. But you better cope because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack you for it, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use a negative coping technique and use avoidance. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, Kristen. Pleasure. Talk to you again. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Thanks Take so care. Much.